This episode is brought to you by Valco Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. If you want to get in shape, learn how to defend yourself, and meet new friends, go to valcobjj.com. Mention this podcast to get 20% off your first tuition payment. House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 5, We Light the Way. This is our deep dive. We're going to go scene by scene through this episode. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so we meet the bronze bitch in the first scene. She wasn't really what the way Damon made us, like, kind of led us to believe. No, that was not what I was expecting. That's an aria right there. <laughs> yep, she was not bad looking. She was pretty capable, it seemed like. She was a little short with her cousin, though, so maybe she is kind of bitchy, for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, like, he's like, oh, do you care for some company, cousin? She's like, nope, I'd rather ride alone. But if she were a man and acted the same way, would you call him bitchy? I'd call him a dick. <laughs> <laughs> or an asshole. All right. I mean, she was a little short, but like... Yeah. But no, they, they, this seems like a character that we could like. You know, like yeah. introduce her, right? So Damon shows up and it's completely... But I will say, in the book, he is supposedly at the Stepstones when this happens. So it's... As written, he probably didn't do this himself. Maybe it happened, maybe he sent someone, or maybe he flew away from the Stepstones and came back. But when you watch the inside the episode, they mention like the way it's described, how she fell from her horse and hit her head on a rock. So there's some ambiguity there, but it specifically says that word was sent to the Stepstones to tell Damon of this. So however we're going to take it, and... We don't know his intentions in the show, if he meant for this to happen or not, but clearly he was not well, troubled by it. No, it, it, I believe it is accidental. He's there, he's unarmed, he doesn't have his dragon with him, and she comes off pretty strong right away, and I guess horses, or her horse doesn't like Damon Targaryen, like that part was a little interesting to me. A little convenient. But I got the impression, especially in our second watch, that he didn't go there to kill her. I don't know why he went there for, but he went there and the horse falling on her in that exact way and paralyzing her, that was accidental. But at this point, once she's paralyzed, I don't think she wants to live anymore. And it becomes kind of an opportunity for both of them for her to die. So she calls him a craven. She knew exactly what she was doing because he was walking away and then she does that. And then he's like, you know what? Let's just finish this. And he picks up the rock. Yeah, so before that, she said, will you strike the child down, talking about Aegon. So she, she has a read on his character and on the situation that's going on in King's Landing. And then <laughs> when she falls and he starts to walk away, her choice of words, she goes, I knew you couldn't finish. It's kind of a strange thing, you know. It, well, it's, whether the, she knew it or not, it was the exact right thing to say to him to push him over the edge. Right. I, she did say they never consummated their marriage. But she does seem to be aware, or <laughs> this could be me reading way too much, but that's someone you would say to taunt somebody who has erectile issues. Anyways, moving on. Uh, all right. Viserys is sailing over to meet with Corlys and the Valarians, and we see that he is seasick, but also sick. So at first you think, oh, he just can't handle the ocean, but we see that it's far more than that. Yeah, he, he is very sick this episode. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get a few more scenes, but... We, we have some potential thoughts about that. And this is also our first chance to see that, uh, um, is it Lord Strong? Oh, yeah, right. Lord the, Lionel Strong is the new Hand of the King. Yeah. I, sometimes, who are the sirs and the lords? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's too much for my brain. Um, I mean, but, a sir is a knight, I think. Okay, that's, that's my... And I guess a lord is a property owner. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. But you know, he is that he's been made hand now. Yes, and that seems by that seems like the best choice. I agree with it because what has been illustrated in a few other episodes, he has given wise counsel, and it, he hasn't put his own interests ahead in a very obvious or even subtle way. It is so 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 subtle. He's not doing what Otto is doing from Viserys' standpoint. I'm going to jump ahead just slightly, but we'll come back to scene by scene. But apparently Corliss agrees that he is the best choice. Yeah, oh. I, I made note of that too, that there seems to be enough. Um, I did wonder if Corliss was kind of saying, though, um, what a great choice. Could have been me, though. <laughs> like that kind of thing. So he's either just honestly acknowledging that it's a great choice or I he's... think he said, I can't think of anyone better. Oh, right. Yeah. But, which but... would undermine me. Which, uh, right. But in, yeah, unless he's just hinting at it, but whatever. Yeah, but Corliss hasn't really been the type for lip service. He kind of says what he says and then shuts up. Yeah, he is straightforward. So I think he actually meant it. And that's why this stood out to me when he said that. Because I think he, he agrees with this. I think Corliss also, like Damon, had an issue with Otto. But then we do th- see throughout this episode, the Strongs come a little bit more noticeable. And it subtly makes you wonder if he really is the best choice. But we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, maybe he's just been waiting for his turn. He's and then just he's slick. just, he's the next Otto. Like, how do we not know that this was an Otto? Otto was very similar to... Lord Strong, and then once he became Han, then the pressures of the power and the position make it so. Like, it's hard to not try to advance your own family and bloodline. All right, and then we get what I thought um, was one of the most important, if not the best scenes in a very strong episode. And this is the short but powerful goodbye between Alicent and her father, Otto. So Otto is basically blaming Alicent for him getting dismissed. I still think that's bullshit. She did not get him dismissed. Viserys was already having issue with Otto before anything with Alicent. And she's like, I believe her or I want. And he's like, you want to. And so does the king. Like the king is the one that dismissed him. And the king was not wrong. So Otto lied about his machinations to the king last episode. He has been doing this all along. He don't think it's fair at all that he's blaming his daughter here. Is she naive? Yes. He's right on that accusation. Yeah, I mean, they're all good points. It's like complicated things are complicated. So it's, it's he's not wrong, but he's not completely right. And he's right that they both wanted to believe Renera, but he, he did push too hard. So she's right in that. So, it, you know. Well, and, and he has been trying to advance his family all this time. It's pretty obvious. But the most important thing that he says and where he probably is, is right is that they're going to have to kill Aegon. And he, he tells Alicent, it's right there in front of you, but you're choosing not to see it. It's been there all along here because it's been several years since her first uh, son, Aegon, was born, her kids. And it's not just Aegon. It's all the kids that will have to go. Yeah. He has a son and daughter at this point. Or sorry, she has a son and daughter at this point. And so he's kind of saying like, hey, this has always been the way. You just haven't connected it. And, you know, we talked about how this was such a great point and such a great scene I really thought it was just well done with the acting and everything. I, it's good scene. It did make me wonder, though, that this is actually why Allison changes her mind in Rhaenyra. Not that she found out that Rhaenyra lied, but this, that it, it just, she's taken her head out of the sand. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of pushes toward her realizing the dangerous position that she's in. But th- this was, for me, the most important one. 
And you're right about the acting. Both of them so good. And Alicent's that girl, man, she can go from vulnerable to ice cold with yeah. her looks so easily. Yeah. She's great. Well, right. And especially if they're going to stick to this, if the series is actually able to pull it off, where regardless of gender, the firstborn becomes the heir, then that means Aegon and the daughter have to be executed. Because if Aegon dies, mm-hmm. then the daughter moves next right. in line. So all, all the kids. So yeah. Yeah. So she's got two that we know of right now. I don't know if they're having any more. Doesn't look like it. And the series is falling apart. Um, but like, it would be it would be all of her children. It's not even just like she'd have to sacrifice one. And I I really have been thinking about, it and I think that's why she like. I think Rhaenyra could have never lied to her, and I think Alicent would have still done this. Yeah. Then two episodes in a row, we get a new new castle, which is nice to see. Last week was Storm's End, which is the Baratheon castle. And then this week we go to Driftmark, which is the Valarian. I don't know if I'd call it a castle. It's a mansion. Half castle, half mansion, but it looked great. And, it's pretty opulent. And it looked um, very hard to penetrate. <laughs> it was off on this... You know, little island with only their their sidewalk that they went to. So good defensive position there. Did you notice that he had the mask from the crab feeder? Oh, I didn't notice that. Good catch. He like looks at it, and I was like, you know, that's kind of gross. When they arrive, when Viserys arrives, the king is, or sorry, Corlys is not there to greet them. I agree with Rainey's. She makes a comment to Corliss a little bit later here that it's beneath him to grovel for Laner's hand like this. And she's right, he is. It's beneath uh, beneath Viserys. It's beneath Viserys, yeah. And so he's on a ship, which he should not have been on. This traveling is very bad for his health. So there's that piece. He should have summoned Corliss to come to King's Landing. So that's the first part. Second part, he was not greeted when he first came. And, and they do show us in the show here. But my understanding, that is a huge break from tradition. It is a big F you. Yeah, it's a power play. Oh, and, and, and Viserys knows it. And he doesn't want to create a scene um, Lord Strong is like, what is the meaning of this? And Viserys is like, I get what's going on here. I guess I have to eat crow a little bit. Fine. But then I think the icing on the cake is Lord Corliss is sitting on his chair like a throne, which is like, he could have been anywhere to receive him on the inside, but he's sitting on the chair, which I think is a bold statement of, of Lord Corliss. And he was a little slow to make the bow, too. He, yeah. He kind of moseyed on over there, and he did do it. But, right, Viserys, who's so amiable. I, I like that Viserys is no-nonsense. Like, every time something comes up, uh, like when they start negotiating, he wants to get right to the point. But he's also just, God, leadership is so hard. Because you have to be more of a dick than he is. And this is Damon's criticism of him. And I, I think it, it had started to become Rhaenyra's criticism of, of Viserys. He isn't harder. He allows this. He doesn't want to rock the boat. And this is one of the first times where I'm really seeing of Lord Corliss that this guy is over. And he even says it at some point. Did I overreach or something? But his behavior, he he needs a, a check. You don't act like that in front of the king. Like you had mentioned this a couple uh, episodes ago, just in terms of how he was acting on the council. Like he was acting like he was on the same level as the king. And I was like, I don't know. I can understand these slights. And I've been pretty understanding. Now, no. He, he's he's sulking. Yeah, there's a saying in politics, if you want a friend, get a dog. 
And <laughs> Viserys seems to be too interested in keeping friendships here. But then, you know, when they talk about his legacy later, we'll, we'll get to that. But that's um, there's some interesting points about power and leadership there. Mm. But sticking with Corliss and Viserys meeting, it's also interesting that Corliss is the one who tells Viserys about Damon's wife. So knowledge, information got to him first. And I guess, you know, Viserys is on the ship, so who yeah. knows. But that's how I took that, that he just, you know. But it could also be that Damon and Corliss, they knew this was the plan um, for Damon to go do this. So, which actually leads me to believe something that like now hearing you say that I didn't think of that, but now that you say that there is something that I was going to mention later, which we'll get to at the wedding. That makes me wonder there might be a setup. Well, I'm going to preempt you because I think you're going to mention the inheritance, which first comes up in this discussion. No, it's something else. But that, but Corliss does mention Damon's inheritance here. So he knows about her death and inheritance. So this, this seems possibly a little. A little set up. Well, and now we know that they're buddy-buddy and we're loyal to each other for that. And like you said, if you want a friend and loyalty, I would add in, get <laughs> yeah. a dog. But they're at least more buddies with each other than anyone else. And maybe they understand each other. They've taken the measure of each each guy here and they get who they are and get who they're not. And they don't ask them to be who they're not. I did like this negotiation scene quite a bit. Corliss wants, quote-unquote, clarification on how things are going to work because Renera is obviously a female, so how are they going to do the last name thing? And they hammer out a uh, uh, compromise on the spot. But then this is where Viserys says that regardless of gender, it's always going to be the firstborn. So he's sticking with this this thing going on here. Yeah, he, he's made a change. So as long as... So whether it's man or woman, if they take the throne, their name goes from Valarian to Targaryen. Interspliced with all this is, is the scene with Alicent in front of the heart tree. So I can't believe I forgot to mention in our last long episode that Rhaenyra denied anything happened in front of the heart tree, which the heart tree is like, well, brand sees watching. everything, right? Yeah, <laughs> at least in the North, that's what they believe. And there, there's some truth to what we find out later. But in this episode, Alicent is in front of the heart tree and we see the heart tree is crying. I don't know what to make of it in terms of seeing a lot of these like Targaryens and high towers, like because a lot of these people are more Southerners right, and, and not Northeast, so they don't believe in that. But yet they're always meeting in front of this God Tree, where they don't do it in Game of Thrones. Often they're they're the often, heart trees are gone; they're all chopped down by the time we get to Game. There of is one. Well, in the North, there's there's no. Heart there trees. is one in King's Landing because Sansa hangs out by it, I believe. You might be right. Um, but my point being only the northerners in King's Landing bother to go to it because of its significance. We're here. Everybody's just leisurely hanging out. Like we've seen Renera read there, like every episode they're hanging in front of this, this heart tree. But I don't think all these other, especially southerners hang out in front of her. That's a total northerner thing. Yeah. And it, they're very noticeable in this show. I've seen several times where they're discussing in front of the heart tree. Sometimes it's crying, sometimes it's not. And it was definitely crying here. And this is where we see the first, perhaps, overtly strategic move by the Strong family or by Laris, which we assume he's working in coordination with his family, but perhaps not. Perhaps not, because he is a second son. And we have a theme here of second sons in House of the Dragon. And so I'm not quite sure what to make of that, because it's actually this move of Laris that really... I don't think Alicent would have gotten to where she did this fast. I do think she would have gotten there eventually because of what her father told her. And that just is what it is, that she's going to pick her kids over Rhaenyra. 
However, Laris just shoves her into this. If he had not said this, all the other things wouldn't have happened. So it's actually quite a big move. And even he was so smarmy as he was saying it to her. I I thought that both times as we've watched it. um, And hey, we've got a new Game of Thrones contender here. He is not going for the throne, but he is going for something. Well, but you also got to wonder, how did he get that information? And I assume it came from his dad, um, who would know all this stuff. But he does say, when you're never invited to speak, you learn to observe. So maybe he's just a super duper observer like Lanor's boyfriend. <laughs> I, I have no doubt people discount him and don't think much of him. Like when he asked to join the ladies and they were like, yeah, sure, come here. I doubt that they would just casually allow a lot of other people. He is easily dismissed. and Well, right. But to, to observe, like, I don't think he could observe the moon tea happening. He'd have to be informed of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, when you're never invited to speak... He makes a good point here, and this is important, but this is also the way a a jaded person would speak. Mm-hmm. Like, this is somebody like uh, like Littlefinger, who never felt like he got the respect he was due, would, but, would speak. I, I agree. Uh, and actually, as you were talking about this, I was literally thinking about Littlefinger. Yeah. But we get another moment here, what we had just said of uh, with um, Damon. Um, and what was her name? The his wife Rhea yeah so we get another thing of like Lady Rhea and Damon where she says just the right thing I knew you couldn't finish he says just the right thing when you are never invited to speak when is Allison ever invited to speak with anything literally about whether or not she wants to have sex that night or what's going on she asks Viserys to see the the messages and will offer the opinion but she's very rarely invited to speak especially outside of closed doors with just her husband uh and so i feel like the with the ladies party though like when red wine and stuff she was in that scene openly to speak right yeah i but i think it's kind of uh similar to cersei here where they don't want to just talk about their kids and and like what gowns they're wearing that day. She wants to be more involved with the decision-making and be a ruler. I, I think she feels lost and, and just overlooked quite a lot. So him saying this, I think it was just the right thing to say to her. So it relates to her. Right? That Because it's going to grab her. So not only is she interested in what's going on, and she is upfront with him of like, tell me what you want. What's? Yeah, I love that line. Speak your purpose, I think she said, or state your purpose, mm-hmm. which is just, we need to bring that kind of talking back into everyday discourse. And then that comes up later with Kristen Cole with the Night of Kisses. He's like, you know, what do you want from me or something, whatever. Yeah, that one makes more sense because he's on duty. You don't bother guards while they're on duty. So that one made more sense to me. But here she's like, all right, what do you want? Yeah, I liked it. Um, And back at Driftmark, Renera and Lanor are talking and they've known each other their whole lives and they come to an understanding. So everybody knows he's gay. Um, His parents know and (laughs) Corliss thinks he'll grow out of it. Um, (laughs) It's so cliche. He's like, it's just a phase. Yeah. But um, but they come to an understanding and they both accept it. So this is, if, if only Cole could play ball, this could have worked out nicely. Yeah, and so I actually, we mentioned this or in, in our first impressions. I think Lena and Rhaenyra really are a great match. They get along really well here. So even though they haven't seen each other for a few years, they grew up with each other, they're close. They like each other. Most 
betrothed couples don't even know each other or like each other. And I think Damon and, and Lady Rare are a great example of that. But that's more the common piece of it. It's rare when people actually get along. Uh, and even more rare when it's a love match. Uh, and yeah. so they get along really well, but they also both want their own freedoms. And they're both easily okay with this. So I, I, I just... Yeah, it's a great match. It's she a does, great match. And, and you know. I'll offer in theory, because yep. I bet you a lot is going to happen, so I don't know. But I I like it in theory. Well, yeah, especially that she doesn't care, you know, the, the way... That he's gay, so and he doesn't care that she'll step outside because in this time it's way worse for a woman to step out than a man to step out of the marriage. Like it's kind of like how we're talking about like the double standards where Viserys and Damon went through the streets of silk when they're younger, but Renera uh, cannot. Right, um, and so it, this is a rare situation we have here. Yeah, Lanor doesn't care. I think they also have affection for each other. We have a real nice meeting between Corlys and Rhaenys. And there's love there. I don't yeah. know if it started as a love match, but it became one. Yeah, I, I like the discussion. They they touched a lot of things. We already talked about how Viserys, you know, it was beneath him to grovel. We already talked about how Corlys thinks it's a gay phase. Rainey's is pointing out that they are putting Lenor in great danger. Yeah. And so now we see but a few minutes ago. This is ago, after the whole Stepstones battle and him fighting there, like. Right, but. <laughs> You know, I mean, she's not wrong. It's a parallel to Otto and Alessand's discussion. So we're, we're both seeing that, that both sides that are going to line up against each other are aware that they're putting themselves in danger. And But such is the Game of Thrones. Right, exactly. And Corliss says they have half the dragons. And we see two dragons flying later from this family. So we know Damon rides a dragon. We know Rhaenyra rides a dragon. So that's two. And we know Laenor. We know Laenor. So that's two on Targaryen and one on... Valarian. So who's the second Valarian rider? We his don't sister. see in this episode. It could be his sister. It could be his mother who would, you know, could be mm-hmm. a Targaryen. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess at this point there's four dragons, um, but we've only met three like in battle. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's Lena. I, I think it's Lena. That, that would really make the most sense here. Yeah. And we didn't, they didn't say, so we see the two dragons flying, but they didn't identify one of them because a few episodes ago, when Lena was a kid, she brought up how Vagar is living in the mountains and stuff. So I guess we can assume that's not Vagar. So they have a different dragon that she would be riding. But Rainey's has her own dragon, I believe. So whatever. We'll, we'll find out. But So apparently there's four dragons in play, and the Valarians have half of them. So two and two. Um, and then they have a discussion. You know, Corlys is still bitter that Rainey's got passed up for the crown. And, it's like he's trying to fight for her honor about right. this. He hasn't let it go. And she's like, I've let this go a long time ago. If I have, you should. Then we meet Leonor's boyfriend, his, um, the Knight of Kisses he's called, Joffrey. He tells Leonor he's going to need a sworn protector, is apparently him. And he deduces that Renera must have a paramour. So, you know, he's putting it out there, which will come to haunt him later. All right, and then this is next scene. They're they're sailing back, and Cole is approaches Renera, and this is where things go off the rails for everybody. I don't think either of them are in love with each other. I think he wants to be to make this all better in his head. How many Kingsguard have broken their O's on this? It like the fact that he is so 
rigid about how much he's screwed up. It, it says more about his frame of mind and who he is as a person than actually the fact that he did this. I bet you this is a rampant thing that happens with the King King's Guard, and probably that, not with princesses though. Like they probably visit. Like we saw the Hound visiting whorehouses with brothels mm -hmm. um, and he's a so right probably not with the royalty however that's not what he's stuck on he's stuck on the fact that he broke his chastity vow so it really is this and again it says more about who he is than rather than like how he's this dishonorable person they put it in there but it's just not followed is my take it's the same thing with the men of the night's watch they put it in there but it, it still it, it goes too much against human nature he is he's looking to restore a wrong in his mind that he's done and he's willing to use Rhaenyra and have her give up everything in order for him to correct his wrong he's not thinking clearly he seems that like it's so much more clear once you know everything that's happening you can start looking he's just unhinged in this whole episode like even here he's coming in and he's he's making his play for it but he doesn't he doesn't love her i don't think he even really wants to marry her i think he's just trying to find an out yeah, that comes to light in the second half of their conversation. So in the first half, he's like, well, you know, over the years, you've confided in me and you loathe your position and I can take you out from this. We'll have freedom. We, we can be, nobody will know who we are, yada, yada, And yada. all of that is just him making a case. It's not what he wants or believes is my, my stance. It's, well, it's what he wants but right but right but it's but not like allison the, wanting to think everything will be fine right it's but not it's the not, real world it's not for the reason that he's giving also so he's, he's saying you can marry for love not for the crown and all the stuff that she's been saying but you know she says i am the crown so she seemed kind of confused by where he was going with this at first and then when she denies him he seems confused um or at least upset because not only is he getting rejected but he made his case based on the way she was acting. Or no, he made his case saying. because that's the only play he had. There was nothing else he could do here to try and reclaim his honor. He needed this. And if she shot down, like what I see is the look of defeat that my one Hail Mary shot has just gotten obliterated. Right, but I'm saying his case didn't come from nowhere. She has been complaining about everything uh, in her life. So it yeah. wasn't a complete... Um, misreading of the situation but clearly he was wrong no i mean he was using things that he could but and she even says i may chafe at my duties like again what she would have to give up the fact that they don't actually love each other maybe if they really truly were in love it would be a little bit different but i think she knows that they're not and so that's kind of part of it it's clear to me he is not about what is best for her here. He is about what is best for himself. And I'm wondering if she sees that because that's what she's surrounded by with all these other men who just do what's best for them. And she recognizes, yep, I am not signing up for more of that. I got to look out for myself, which is really what Renera does. Ever since her mom dies, she is often kind of just looking out for herself, sometimes in a petulant, childish kind of way, but sometimes in a much more regal way. Uh, well, she does want to keep the relationship going. And that's she obviously cares not for him. work. Yeah. But this is also a moment where he feels like he has broken his vow and not upheld a piece of his honor of his role. And here she has an opportunity to break a vow and the honor of her role. And she does not. I mentioned the hound earlier. I don't think he was actually a Kingsguard. He, I think he was Joffrey's protector. Pet. Yeah. But he, um, he didn't, he wasn't a white cloak and he wasn't, he, pointed out many times that he wasn't a knight and I think you have to be a knight yeah. to be a Kingsguard. Yeah. So him going to the whorehouse was not breaking vows. 
Viserys arrives back at King's Landing and he collapses. Alicent is watching. She sees this, so her father's words are sinking in that he won't be alive for, for he won't live to be an old man, is what Otto said. Do you think they made Viserys so ill this episode to line up for this exact thing that Alicent recognizes she's running out of time? Yeah, yeah, because this, it's not like this in the book. He's not falling apart at at a youngest young. Well, it was just throughout the entire episode, pretty much every scene with Viserys. We see him pretty ill. Yeah, and everything basically in my mind serves to reinforce to Alicent that she needs to start taking steps to protect herself. Yep. So, but she's also going missing all the time. So normally she's been there, she's bathing him, she's hanging out with him. But now she sees him collapse, but she's not there. And he even says, "Where is Alicent?" So we're starting to notice that Alicent is shirking her wifely duties for a mother's one. Right. Right, yeah, so the, the next scene after Viserys collapses isn't Alicent helping him, it's her summoning Kristen Cole. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they go into this room. He folded like a, a house made of cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, she asked him to sit by him. <laughs> Just a poor guy. <laughs> That's what you said during the episode, yeah. too. You are like, ah, oh, poor guy. <laughs> well, the, you know, normally you talk about the power dynamics with men over women, right? But this is a area where... The power dynamics are greatly not in Cole's favor last episode and this episode. It's, you just feel for him, especially with how conflicted he is now and how, how guilty he is over everything. And this, this must have been very uncomfortable. This was probably the only part of the episode that I didn't really like. There, there were a couple that were kind of like this for me, where there was another episode uh, where I just felt like everything didn't always add up the way they played it. This is one of them for me where... Yeah, the way she's like speaking in half sentences, and which which is what gets him to spill the beans. It's it's just I don't know. It reminded me of a like a comedy, like where they they keep uh, well whatever, keep hinting at something, and in, in the, the way the things go, it just wasn't. It just it just reminds me of the Little Mermaid when King Triton is talking to Sebastian, and he's talking about like maybe like a birthday present or something. He's like. That I know you've been keeping something from me, and then he's like, <laughs> "I tried to stop her," and and he King Triton's like, "What?" Like to me, it was like it would have been in a comedy. It would have been how you set up a way, just like you said with yours to to get him to say something. So the scene with um Cole and Renera on the boat when they were talking led me to believe that they've kept their affair going, and it wasn't just the one time. We're not exactly clear on that. Oh, but, I took it as just that, but... Because she said, like, you know, I'm happy to see her. He's happy... Like, we thought last episode that Cole would have to nip it in the bud, but apparently they've yeah. they've kept at least a friendly relationship, if not the affair is still going. But or then, she thinks that's what it is and totally doesn't realize that this guy's unhinged. Yeah. And Cole asks, you know, to be merciful and just have him killed rather than geld him or... He didn't, he didn't even propose sending him to the wall. So he, I think he's ready to die, which we see later too. Right. And, but that also just goes to show that he's so unmoored by this that, that he needs to just die and be done with it. Um, which, that makes him dangerous. Yep. So I am... Uh, they're setting something up here. I am very... Like, is this now a weapon for Alicent? Is she going to use him? Well, right, yeah. So we might as well cut to that that final scene we'll, we'll get to the violence later but she stops him from killing himself she intervenes right so now it's which it, i saw coming right so is he going to become her protector and on her 
side now because he owes her. But there's some reasons that that's very dangerous to everybody, which which we'll get to. So and also, the, just speaking of Alicent, have you noticed that they don't show us any scenes of her picking her nails anymore? I did not notice, but that is true. So is this coming into her own? Right. So Viserys is being worked on by the Maesters, who we see disagree for the second time in the show. So we talked this in, a, in our overview, but it occurred to me that he could be being poisoned, presumably by the head Maester, Melos, I guess. Because he's fallen apart. His, it really accelerated this episode of what bad shape he's in. Um, he's under a lot of stress yeah. constantly, though. He's, so it, it does make sense to me about all of this. And, and even the scene that we're on right now with Viserys is, I was wondering, like, you know, he's talking to Lord Strong of, like, what about songs? I haven't really been tested. You're kind of seeing a lot of these kind of doubts with Viserys. And I think he's kind of constantly, like, riddled with doubt about how he handles his brother and how he handles his daughter and all of these things. I mean, he's got to know what Otto told Alicent. He's got to know how dangerous all that is. And the fact that he's not talking about it with Allison and Renera already, that's a big oversight. I'm just wondering, though, is he getting tired of playing it safe? You know, the way we've been talking about this episode, like he's not rocking the boat and he's trying to play nice. Uh, is this him kind of coming to a moment of saying, like, I may not have a lot of time left and I'm getting tired of living this way. Am I going to need to make some bold moves now whenever I'm faced with the next big decision? Yeah, I really like this discussion where he's questioning his legacy and what's interesting is that he's like, how will this, how will I be written in the history books? And then the book Fire and Blood is a history book. <laughs> so I know how he's been written <laughs> as a character. The way he's written is as always wanting to be amiable, not the strongest willed of kings. But there are a few things that he would absolutely stick to his guns about. One of them being marrying Alicent and the other one being naming Rhaenyra. Mm -hmm. Tell me if I should cut that out if I'm... No, I feel like that's... Spoilery. Um, but that seems pretty clear here. If he's marrying off Rhaenyra to uh, Lord Corliss's son, we all know what Lord Corliss wants. And so, like, this is really solidifying his intention. Because Lord Corliss will have a total, like, fit if it changes. Yes, right. So I, I feel right. like everything... Like, I mean, the Allison thing is done. If he were to name Aegon now, it would 100% be civil war. Whereas Absolutely. now that he's so, na named Renera, it's only possible. Right. <laughs> so you saying that to me just fits what we now know as yeah. of this episode as an audience. And there's a nice little philosophical discussion here. Is, is it better to live in peace or to have songs sung about you after you're dead? And, you know, as a king, like, and this is true of our U.S. presidents. This is an interesting quirk about history and the way history is written. We don't talk about the ones who lived through peace and presided over a peaceful presidency or kingship or whatever. It's always the ones that went to war, went through civil war, et cetera, that are the highest regarded. And it's kind of uh, unfair, <laughs> you know, because the peaceful ones might have been the best ones. Yeah, and to your point of what you said earlier, Viserys says he wishes to be challenged. So this, right, is he going to now put himself in a situation where he, he would, that's what uh, I was taking from this is we're seeing him really contemplate this aspect and the fact that he probably knows he's running out of time to do something and that he waited with the Stepstones he waited with Damon he waited with Rhaenyra maybe he's tired of waiting maybe this is something where he's going to make some larger choices 
But he would have to be everything that he's not to start doing that, I feel like. And I, so we'll, we'll just have to see. Right. Um, Lionel Strong makes the point, basically, be careful what you wish for. Well, and once again, Lionel Strong gives excellent counsel on what he's saying. He's not chastising him for showing what could appear to be weakness and a lack of confidence yourself. And I think his point is very valid of, isn't it better to have peace and then we get to the meat of the episode, even though so much stuff has already happened. We get to the wedding scene. And great scene, great direction, nice building of tension all throughout. Of course, it reminds you of the Red Wedding and of the Purple Wedding where Joffrey died. So and- I agree that like I like a lot of the attention to detail of other people who are part of the show. So costumes, music, editing of things. The way that this story is told, though, I've, there's some holes for me with this part. Like, I, I remember being a little, oh, this is this is happening. This is supposed to be a big thing, like the first time. And then now watching it again, I was like, yeah, I just expected a little more from how this got pulled off. I, The Red Wedding and the Purple Wedding were more well done than this. Uh, I don't know. I The Red Wedding and the Purple Wedding had more death and bigger consequences but i think the actual direction of cutting between the dance scenes the music getting more intense the uncertainty about where it was going to come from and then so that i like it's more the some things that just don't add up and make sense to me like what one thing of just how uh, uh sir westerling is the one name he's the announcer I'm pretty sure Kingsguard aren't announcers. I think someone else has that role. Because how can he be his job of protecting when he's announcing everyone? Not to mention he needs to know who everyone is. And they I don't need, know. They needed that Scottish bro, though. Um, am I um, saying it right? Bra? Bra? Brogue? Brogue. Yeah, they needed uh, that Scottish brogue. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but maybe not. I mean, like, whatever. That's. But like... But that, that leads into my larger, one of my largest criticisms of this is how inept the Kingsguard were. They might as well not have been there at all. None of the major players were protected. And that is really, really bad guard duty when your only job is guard duty. Well, not completely because the an officiant was seen standing by the king's side while this was happening. So his job is to protect the king. So they might have all been around the table where Corliss was and Viserys was, and they might not have been able to leave that spot. Because then the regular police came in, the white cloak, or the gold cloaks came in. And yeah, it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, I, I liked it. It was kind of like, if you've ever been at a concert, like in a big mosh pit or whatever, when things are moving, it's hard to hard I just to feel like order. they should be more prepared for that to protect the royalty. Like even uh, Laner was struck multiple times, like, Sir Kristen hit yeah, him. I didn't notice times. that the first time, but so Sir Kristen hitting him. Again, going back to Alicent, if she takes him on as her protector, the fact that he just not only killed Lanor's boyfriend but also punched him in the face, like this, this is a big battle well, line being drawn if she if she protects him from the consequences. So we see the reminding us of the Lannisters, that these people exist, that Jason Lannister exists. So I don't know if he's going to be an important character or not. They're walking in, you know, the music, the drums are going. Definitely reminded me of Harry Potter when all the houses come. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how could you not think about that? I really loved when Valerian House came in and how that was filmed. I liked the music and and it was a very prominent scene with that. Right. And then the Hightowers are, are following the Lannisters to greet the king, but then... Royce cuts in front. This is um, Damon's wife's cousin. Cuts in front 
of the high towers, which just seems a little. This guy's does a couple things that are he's obviously pissed off and yeah. presumptuous. Damon arrives, and the king is didn't stay away long. No. Last episode, he's like, "Don't ever grace my presence again." Right. So the king is is once again a pushover, and I don't know what else he could have done in that moment, but he just pulls up a chair. Damon has that asshole grin on his face. Alicent is not there. She's fashionably late. <laughs> <laughs> so Viserys is giving a speech. And then, oh God, just the Lannister, Jason Lannister there. Yeah. Just like, oh my, like, it's just like, I find it comical, his character, which I think is what they're going for. Uh, but he's just so absurd. Yeah. Just the way he walks and stuff is like, yeah, funny. But Viserys is giving a speech and that's when Allison finally arrives and he's becomes literally speechless. Probably a combination of the way she looks, like, you know, beautiful, but then also, oh shit, <laughs> when he sees what she's wearing. And again, like always, Viserys acting, Patty, Constantine, or whatever his name is acting, is just so good, so much conveyed through just a few looks. But I, I thought he was having like a stroke or something when he, because he was quiet for so long. Yeah. But then it cuts over to her and she walks in with her green dress, her, the colors, of battle for the high towers, which undermines him letting Otto go his hand. She is basically saying to the realm, "I disagree with my king's choice." She is undermining him. She's making him look bad. I would offer she's taken on the level of play of her father. So the high towers still have maintained their their Game of Thrones presence here. Just the players have changed, uh, but yeah. the slight to the series says something here because. He hasn't been unkind to her, and yet it didn't take much for her to turn on him. Yeah, and even the Strongs are talking and says the king's not going to be happy about this. And this is one of the, the few times where we get exposition explaining what's happening. No, normally they're pretty good about, like, you figure it out, but they, they really explain it here. So she walks by. She makes eye contact with her family, who look elated that she's oh, yeah. wearing what they're wearing. And the Strongs explain, like, do you know the colors of House Hightower when they're going to go to battle, when they call their banners, et cetera, et cetera. The king's not going to be happy. So they're really making sure that we understand as an audience what she's doing. In essence, I feel that's what she's just done. She has lit the, the beacons that you guys in Old Town fight for me and fight for Aegon. She, she metaphorically has just done exactly that. Yes. And... You know what? Damon's right. People don't respect Viserys because if Alicent turned on him that fast, it just shows how easily people think that they can do this. If she feared him, if she really thought that this would be a problem, she wouldn't have done it. Well, that's the eternal question, right? For leadership. Is it better to be uh, feared or loved? Well, I don't <laughs> think it's a dichotomous situation. I just think that this is something where Viserys had, has played it too too nice for too long. And everybody just steps on him when it comes time for them to make a decision about what they want to do. Well, and, however you get it, you have to be respected. And she doesn't. And that's literally what I wrote. She doesn't respect Viserys in making a move like this. And now everybody knows it. So they say, oh, he's not going to like this because inter she's interrupting his speech. I think that interrupting the speech is the least of what this symbolizes. Now, one thing I want to draw attention to is the speech he's giving is that they're going to have a seven days of tournament and feasting. In the books, it's in the tournament where Cole beats the shit out of the Night of Kisses. We don't know why. We don't know who that guy is. 
doesn't explain that it's Laner's boyfriend, anything like that. We just know that at this t- particular tournament, Cole fights like a total beast, beats the shit out of that guy who dies like a week later, and then also beats the shit in the tournament out of somebody else who I'm not going to say, but somebody in our show gets the shit beat out of him by Cole at this tournament. It's interesting though then because, so for book readers of this history, when he inter- when Joffrey introduces himself to Cole saying, oh, they call me the Knight of Kisses, that might be a clue to them of like, oh, he might beat the shit out of him. Because he beats the shit of someone else named that, and they just all combine that into this one character here. Oh yeah, I think it's the same character. It's oh, just, just in the this, books too. I, well, I think so. Okay. The books are way more vague about it, but it's this guy, Sir Joffrey, whatever, that gets killed by Longmouth or something. Yeah, that gets killed by Cole in the books. But the killing is much more understandable because it was in a tournament. But it does really piss off Viserys, who sees his big wedding. Um, you know, get upset. So we've seen in this show so far that they're killing at tournaments is not unusual, but it is kind of unusual. Yeah. So when he kills him at the tournament, he doesn't kill him at the tournament. He beats him so bad that he dies a week later. That really upsets Viserys and messes things up. Um, but then, right, and that guy, he's a good detective. He does some serious sleuthing to figure everything out by observation, which, yeah, whatever. But the way he approached... Um, he overstops big time. Yeah. This and, is such a boneheaded move. I mean, how, what, what is Cole supposed to think? Like, if he's right, which he is, Cole must be so paranoid at this point. And then he comes up and, like, you know, pats him on the back and, like, hey, buddy, buddy. Like, Cole has every reason to think, like, this could be, like, a, um, um, bri- not a bribe, uh, like, extortion. What's, mm. what, what's the word I'm looking for where you try to... This could be a full blackmail thing going on or a, it's it's just... Obviously, not a good approach, but even though we saw this scene and we see that it wasn't a good approach, when the violence starts and you can't see where the violence is coming from, it didn't occur to me that this was it. Even though I know that Cole, Cole beat the shit out of him in the tournament, it's like it still it wasn't clear to me what was happening. So going back to a couple of things before the fighting starts, just one last comment I have with Allison here. I think it's incredibly hypocritical for her to feel betrayed. She doesn't say that ever here, but I think that's the huge piece that we see written all over her face in several scenes that she feels very betrayed by Rhaenyra. And I think that's 100% hypocritical. I think what's happened is Otto's warning is directing her actions now more than a sense of being betrayed. I mentioned that before, only because she full and out betrayed Rhaenyra. She did it. She did it first mm. when she was meeting with the series and never told uh, Rhaenyra about it and was doing it often. Like there was a point where she was definitely hiding that, and there was good setup for her to be chosen as a potential wife for him. And I think she did know that at the time, and it completely blindsided Rhaenyra. So there is context of her doing something here, and then just because Rhaenyra wasn't upfront with her, even when they never really fully repaired their relationship. Like, I just... Well, I think the scale is different, but... Agreed, and but... When, but we also saw last episode that they were coming back together. So Rhaenyra had gotten over that to some extent before lying to her. So it's like they repaired it and then Rhaenyra messed it up again. I don't think they were fully repaired. No, um, but I, I, I don't think they're equivalent. There was a moment at the very beginning here before anything got controversial... 
And I made a note that I think this is the first time I've seen Lord Corliss actually pleased ever in this show. He like is almost smiling. <laughs> like he's sitting there up at the table and I think they're like dancing or something. Or I, It's before I think just all the drama starts and he just looked pleased and he's just a character who just seems perpetually displeased. So that was a piece. Um, so the comment that I was waiting that I was going to comment on before is uh, Lady Lena makes eyes at Damon. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely, she's checking him out and then he's not looking at her, but then he looks at her and they look at each other and they lock eyes. So she is making eyes at him. I don't think that's by accident. Um, and then he follows her out on the dance floor and they dance with each other. And she's basically hitting on him and being like, oh, this. So... That would be I, a very strong match. I agree. That would, would be a very strong match. And so I do wonder a little bit if we have some setup of a relationship between those two. Because now we actually see that she's interested. So it's not even just a nudging of it's a strategic move. Like when Lenor and Renera are walking on the beach, they're like, let's do our duty to our fathers and do this. Okay. But this is something where like Lena might be all about it, even if it is a duty to, if they're told to get married. And so it makes you wonder, is she still unmarried? They haven't married her. Yeah. She's gotta be right. That's my assumption. She is accompanied by uh, a Valerian looking family member, both when uh, Viserys and everybody right. arrives at Driftmark, but then also here at the table. So I'm not quite sure who that person is, but I don't think it's her husband. Um, so I just, I, I'm just curious if something's happening there. Well, most people wouldn't want Damon anywhere near their daughter if they were smart, but. But Corliss and Damon yeah, have a little. They're, they're a team. They're yeah. a thing. So, and at the end of the day, Damon's a Targaryen. And Targaryens are power. He's uh, Corlys is married to a Targaryen and has this. He's not a dragon rider, but his wife and kids are. Or wife was. I don't know if she still is. Did you notice anybody else dancing together? I did see Rhaenyra and uh, uh, the guy who... Harwin rescues, Strong. Yes, who rescues her. Yeah, Damon interrupts that one, but they were dancing together. Um, and then... I'm trying to think of anyone else. I mean, other than, obviously... The, that's the one I was thinking of. Okay. Right. And then, right. And he's the one who goes to town with his father's permission. He goes in, beats the shit out of some people and saves, well, you know, takes Renera out of the, the chaos. Which sends a message about his awareness of the situation and what he was willing to do to protect her when no one else did that. It's not like Laner was like, oh my God, I need to protect my, protect my betrothed. She even calls out to Laner, but he's all about something else and yeah right. he's in the midst of it and getting hit but his prerogative was not to protect his bride-to-be and other people's prerogative was not to protect her uh, or you don't see it it's not much more obvious and so i think that just again really says something like and i'm just curious i would love to see a conversation between Renera and lord strong or sir strong i don't know harwin strong harwin the fighter yeah but is he a knight is he a sir? Yeah. Well, he's a he's a gold cloak. Um, remember, okay. he's a cop. But um, but right. But he doesn't rescue her out of the goodness of his heart. No. He's waiting for the signal from his dad. But he still was the one who did right. it and was very effective. And so, if you're Renera, knowing that no one else did this, but he did, how does that look in terms of being protected? Like when she said, "If I'm going to hire someone to be a part of my uh, king's guard, shouldn't it be someone who has battle experience who will actually protect me?" 
Um, and so he's at least proving himself here. Yeah, th- this wedding scene, so many things happen that we've talked about it all out of order. So just forgive us for jumping all over the place. Well, I mean, this whole episode bounces back right. with, with several different things. And then one other significant scene that happens here is when Royce comes up and accuses Damon, which I like this scene. You know, it's, it's of course, ballsy of him to do this out in the open in front of Viserys and Lord Strong, but he can't help himself. This is the second time he brings it up. He's obviously pissed about it, and rightfully so. The inheritance comes up again. Damon says, I'm going to go to Runestone to get my inheritance. And this just throws off Royce, who doesn't really, wasn't expecting this and doesn't know how to follow it up or continue his argument. But I love the, again, Viserys, the acting here, his face, like, you know exactly what he's thinking. They don't need any dialogue for this to be, for you to interpret how uncomfortable the whole thing is and how concerned Viserys and Lord Strong look. And you mentioned when we watched it, how at the beginning, in the meeting between Viserys and Corlys, where Viserys proposes the marriage, it shows Lord Strong like holding a drink and then he drinks it after the negotiations. Yeah. This happens again here. It's like when the tension goes out of the air a little bit, he takes a drink. <laughs> so he's um, he likes that wine when, when things relax a little bit. Uh, and then, yeah, we did it out of order, but I think we hit all the major points. Is there anything else here you want to Well, discuss? so then basically what happens, though, is Viserys makes a bolder move and takes action and literally has Rhaenyra and Laenor get married right away. He's got blood coming out of his nose. He is visibly distraught. Everybody knows it, and they are getting married right then and there. So that's that's a move there. He, he is making sure nothing gets in the way of this union, and he is recognizing this might be the only way I can make sure this happens. One of the things that I wonder here, now that Rhaenyra has seen everything that's happened, uh, is there's an important lesson here for her of how easy is it really to keep things simple of what the life she's trying to have here. I think she thought she could just do this and it wouldn't be a problem. And this just totally blew up in her face. Is she going to learn from it? And that's that's something I think we have yet to see. But like this blew up big time. Yeah. In poor series, everything blows up in his face. He hasn't had a smooth event since the, since the show started. He keeps doing these these big tournaments and these big get-togethers. And the first one was, you know, his wife died in the bed and followed by his son. Then he had that whole terrible kill the the brown heart, the stag thing, which just sucked. And then now this, it's just, poor guy. Yeah, so uh, one of my last comments here is for the fourth time in this episode, uh, Lady Alicent is absent. So the first time is she does not go to Driftmark with them all, which I think that's something that she would have gone to. Second time is when Viserys comes back and he faints and she sees it or he passes out and she is not there to care for him. Third time is the wedding as it starts. And now this fourth time, when the wedding is happening, a royal wedding is a big deal. She is the queen. She is not there again. And nobody's noticing that she's not there. This is a big oversight. So this is another hole for me that she was gone too much. And especially after her being late for the wedding and Viserys isn't like, hey, wife, we're here, we're, we're watching my daughter, your friend, get married because he doesn't know it, that there's any beef between them. So, Well, it's not a hole. She's asserting herself and Viserys is kind of a pushover. And But not, not only is she not at the wedding, she is out giving, giving Kristen Cole a new lease on life, yeah. which seems like it's going to be very problematic. Oh, yeah. Because now I'm pretty sure Viserys is going to be pissed and... 
are they going to, Viserys and Allison going to butt heads about Sir Kristen Cole? Well, if he stays true to character, she'll just say, I demand he be my bodyguard. And he'll be like, oh, that sucks, but all right. No! <laughs> like, like, oh, that's absurd to me. So let's do our ranking. Uh, I think I went first last week. I can't remember, but what's, what do you, how do you score it? I think I put it at a seven. Yeah, you are tough with these rankings. I'm yeah. going to give it a nine. There's only one scene that I didn't like, so, yeah. All right. Talk to you next week.